Hey, how's it going, everybody? It's uh, Justin here with another Tennessee Holler Facebook live stream. Uh, today, we're going to talk to Chris Brooks of Labor Notes about what happened in Chattanooga, where the UAW just tried to unionize the Volkswagen plant, but it failed to go through in a really close vote. Uh, Chris was down there. He covered it closely. He wrote a great article about it on labornotes.org. How you doing, Chris? Good to see you, sir. I am doing well. Thank you for having me. First of all, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you write for Labor Notes. I know you are a great writer and everybody should follow you at Chactivist on Twitter. Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, I started to work for Labor Notes about three and a half years ago and I now live in Brooklyn, New York. Um, so Labor Notes is a social, uh, or sorry, it's a media and organizing project um, that's been around for about 40 years now. Um, so this is our 40th anniversary actually this year. Um, we produce a monthly uh, news magazine, which people can order in front of the camera. Um, we also write a series of books like Secrets of a Successful Organizer. Um, and we do trainings all around the country with unions on organizing. Um, so organizing is really our focus and specialty. We try to understand what are the principles underlying successful organizing? How do we fight the boss, build strong unions and win? Um, and, uh, you know, in, in that vein, we, we also um, kind of spend a lot of time looking at organizing drives that are successful, some that are not. Um, I was involved with the 2014 organizing drive uh, by the UAW um, in Chattanooga uh, in 2014 um, from the community side, just helping to build support for it. Um, that was obviously unsuccessful. And then um, for this round, I was uh, I was working very closely on, on, on examining what was happening, writing stories about the organizing drive. I think I published something like 15 stories since um, the, the union filed its election petition in early April. So I guess the backstory then would be the last vote. Can you tell us what happened last time around? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I think just to set some context for you, um, you know, the, the United Auto Workers have, have really suffered a deep decline in membership um, over the uh, the past four decades. They've gone from a high of one and a half million members in 1979 uh, to less than 400,000, around 400,000 today. Um, the, the union um, has also simultaneously um, suffered from the erosion of standards in the contracts for the big three automakers. And that's largely, um, that's in part happened um, from competitive pr pressure created by the influx of these non-union foreign-owned auto manufacturers that are primarily located in the South. Um, so BMW, Nissan, uh, Volkswagen, um, all of these big automakers have located plants in Alabama and Mississippi and South Carolina and Tennessee, where they've been able to fend off the unions for many years. And the UAW was really hoping that they were going to have their first major success in organizing one of these plants in 2014. Um, the Volkswagen plant had 1,500 workers at that point. And what's really interesting about Volkswagen is that as a German company, it falls under the, co the German Co-Determination Act. So that means that employee representatives make up about 50% of the company's board. They have membership on the board, which I think is true for all of Germany, right? Isn't that a German rule that a lot of these corporations have to have a union representation on the board, which allows workers to participate in the future of the company and probably puts them in a position where they're more willing to bend when things are going badly. It just makes them feel more ownership. So is that a rule in Germany? Yeah, that's a law. So it's the Co-Determination Act. It's an actual law in the country that requires companies of a certain size. They're mandated 
to, to have um, employee representatives on their board. Uh, so Volkswagen is a global company with, you know, over 100 plants all around the world. And um, almost all of these plants have some form of, of employee representation, whether it be through a union or a works council. So works councils are an additional part of co-determination or the German social partnership model. Um, and what they are is they are in plant committees. Again, um, employees elect representatives to meet with management to, you know, make determinations about what happens in the factory. So how does training take place? What, what's the volume of production that's happening on a given day? How do we um, have good work and, uh, you know, safety and health standards? Um, so the UAW really thought that they, one of the reasons why they had the greatest opportunity to organize Volkswagen was because employees themselves had so much leverage within the company. So in 2014, when they went to organize the plant, um, Volkswagen was ostensibly neutral. Um, the Global Works Council and the unions and the employee representatives on the board um, pressured management into signing an election agreement um, where they wouldn't fight the union. So this, you know, this is something that you wouldn't have seen at BMW. It's something that we didn't see in 2017 at Nissan when the UAW tried to organize that plant in Canton, Mississippi, um, where the, the company engaged in just a brutal scorched earth campaign. Um, so, you know, running captive audience meetings for workers are required to attend and management tells them that the plant could close where they're threatening workers. Um, you know, they're projecting a future where product is lost, where it's moved to Mexico or some other country. Um, so, you know, it, so th this was the, 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 the process that they undertook was to build strong relationships with German unions, pressure the company internally to be neutral and then go to an election. So in 2014, they believed that they stood a good chance. Well, they lost that election. I mean, it was pretty narrow, but I think that the one of the lessons that you learn is that workers don't join a union to partner with the boss. They don't need a union to do that. Um, you know, so I, I think that like, you know, th that that's at least a part of the equation. The other is that, you know, because the company wasn't fighting it, you know, just because Volkswagen was neutral, that doesn't mean that the South is. So the business community really rallied in order to, to, to do a full court press community-based campaign to fight the union. And so did the state politicians. And, so, you might there, so, so just when they do that, right, when they're fighting against the union, is there fear that if Volkswagen unionizes, then suddenly people will like that and want to unionize the rest of the state? Like, is there sort of a slippery slope fear in, in the minds of management and Governor Lee? Yeah, I mean, well, that, that is definitively the case. So at the time when they were first doing, when that first election was happening in 2014, it was uh, then Governor Haslam and uh, United States uh, Senator uh, Bob Corker that were really leading the charge on this effort. And the language that they used was exactly like that. And, you know, they said, like, look, you know, if they get a toehold at Volkswagen, the next thing you know, they're going to be going to Spartanburg and organizing the BMW. And then they're going to be going to Smyrna and organizing Nissan. They're going to be going to Canton, Mississippi and organizing Nissan. So what we're going to see is that the non-union business-friendly environment of low wages, low unionization that we've you know helped to foster and cultivate here in the South is going to be overturned, um, you know, because the UAW um, got their foot in the door. Um, you know, I think that this is a completely overblown um, uh, view of of what the impact would be. I mean, like Volkswagen is is very important symbolically um, for both business and unions. Um, and showing that, you know, workers actually do want a union, like in both cases, they had a majority of workers that wanted a union, but that, that majority was hacked away at under fear and intimidation from politicians and these anti-union organizations. Um, well, but, what do they, you know, say? They, say, they say that the plant would go away and your jobs would go away. Is that the idea? Yeah. So in 2014, you might remember um, it, it came out that uh, that Governor Haslam had actually. So Volkswagen originally was was 
potentially considering just recognizing the union, not even going to an election, which is how it is in almost every other industrialized nation. You know, anything, anybody with the same labor strategy doesn't set up all these obstacles for workers to be able to join a union. Workers just sign a card. They say, I'm in a union now and that's it. Right. But in the United States, it, you know, we have to go through this process um, uh, where workers have to undergo a secret ballot election. It's often put off for weeks at a time. And then in that and, and that in the course of that time, uh, the employers engage in a series of, 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 of concerted actions in order to try to convince them otherwise. Um, so Haslam um, held $300 million in state incentives over Volkswagen's head and said, if you recognize this union, we're going to torch these incentives. Um, and those, the, the, that $300 million package was, was directly connected to an expansion at the plant for a new product line. Um, uh, state legislators uh, held a press conference in Chattanooga where they said Volkswagen was un-American for having a pro-union attitude. Um, you know, they, they also said that incentives would be unlikely to pass. So there was a real fear that was created, you know, plant, new plant, new product isn't coming into that plant, then that plant is, you know, potentially dying, you know, they can move product elsewhere. Why would it stick around? Um, so 2014 was unique in the sense that the company was ostensibly neutral. But what we saw is that the company did a 180 on the question of unionization beginning in 2015, following the Dieselgate scandal. So Volkswagen was found to have um, installed cheating software on 11 million so-called clean diesel vehicles um, uh, that, that allowed them to pass emissions tests um, while emitting um, uh, toxic levels of, of gas, right. sometimes up to 40 times the legal limit. So the company suffered, you know, has, has really, its, it's stock sank something like 40% in the first week. Um, it's had to pay over $30 billion in fines globally to different countries as a result of this. Um, its top corporate executives have been tried criminally. So around that period in time, the company really took a different position on the question of unionization in the United States. And what you have to recognize is that the Volkswagen factory in Chattanooga pays, provides um, the, the lowest pay and benefits of any automaker in the country. So I think that the company was really in a position where it wanted to maintain that competitive advantage um, over um, uh, its competitors as it's trying to, you know, um, increase its, its density in the North American car market. So with unions in general, right, I'm in one, I'm, I'm in the Writers Guild. Uh, I've seen, you know, what unions do for people in the entertainment industry, writers, writers, actors, directors, everybody's in unions because it sort of develops this floor below which you can't fall and it protects everybody, make sure you participate in the future. And it's just the accepted way of doing business in Los Angeles or in, in the entertainment industry because we sort of saw what it was like without it. It's, it's hard for people, I think, to understand why anybody would vote against unionizing. So in general, like what is in the mind of somebody who's a worker at the only non-union Volkswagen plant in, in the world, I think I read, and and why would they be voting? It seems like they're voting against themselves. What is that fear that they have that they don't want those protections, that they don't want to raise the floor? And, you know, I think my feeling in general, the thing that I always go back to is that unions and the middle class go hand in hand. And here in Tennessee, the middle class is disappearing. We, we are at the bottom in poverty. We're at the bottom in life expectancy. There are so many reasons to unionize and to stand together. What is in these people's minds when they're voting against this? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, so I think it's, there's a there's a lot to remember in thinking about this campaign. One is that Tennessee has the highest percentage of workers making a minimum wage in the country. Um, so even though Volkswagen is paying 
you know, um, the lowest wages in the industry. It's they're good blue collar wages for folks who might, you know, might be coming out of like the service industry. So starting out at 1550 an hour and topping out at $23 an hour provides these workers with a standard of living that they've never had an opportunity to have before. So this is what I found in, in my interviews with dozens of workers is that many of them felt like, you know, I, I got into this job and suddenly I got a mortgage, I had a child and, I, and, and this is a life that I wanted to be able to provide for my family but I'm getting turned into burger on the floor, uh, you know, of the factory. Um, you know, the, the, the injury rate in the factory is very, very, very high. Um, there's high turnover. Many people can't physically handle it. The lines uh, are constantly being sped up. They're constantly trying to reduce the number of workers that are in there. So many people wanted to have a union. The, and, and the UAW itself, you know, I believe that according to their own assessments, they had over a thousand people that they expected to vote yes for it. But in the end, only 776 ended up doing that. So what happened between that thousand that they had and the 776 that ended up voting for the union? Well, the answer is that that there was a huge campaign of fear and intimidation. Um, you know, uh, Volkswagen supervisors um, were handing out flyers in the plant, insinuating that a vote for the union is a vote to close the plant, saying that the UAW has this history of plant closures around but, the country. Based on, based on what, Chris? Because Volkswagen themselves were staying neutral, and it's very clear that Volkswagen plants in general have unions and don't close. So is there a leverage that Bill Lee, for instance, and business leaders in Tennessee have over them? Is it that they're threatening to pull the incentives? Well, no, I mean, like, I think in this case, what we saw is that the, the company was working hand in glove with the state political leaders. So Volkswagen continually said it was neutral while acting not neutral in the plant, acting incredibly hostile to unions. And again, like looking at the Dieselgate scandal, I think this is just once again proof that the Volkswagen says one thing while doing another. And in the case of, of unionization, I, you know, I, I published stories where I found them to be breaking federal labor laws, where they were um, telling workers in the plant that were pro-union that were wearing union stickers or wearing UAW branded safety glasses, which is, is federally protected activity. Um, they were telling them that they couldn't do that and pressuring them to, to take it off. They were sending security guards out to harass um, workers that were handing out flyers in the parking lot. They were surveying workers to find out what changes they could make to try to convince them not to vote for a union. So, um, and, and, and then when they, they, they ended up making, you know, they kind of, so that they would use a stick and then they would also use a carrot. They, they, um, they got rid of a bunch of unpopular managers in the, in the company. They got rid of Antonio Pinto, the CEO, and brought in Frank Fisher, someone who is really well respected by the workers there. And one of the first things that Fisher did was to hold a captive audience meeting. So a meeting that all workers were required to attend where he blamed the UAW for um, the closing of Volkswagen's uh, plant in Westmoreland, Pennsylvania in 1988 and insinuated that the same thing could happen again here in Chattanooga. So, so it's very obvious that Volkswagen was not neutral. This is a, a, a company that is, um, now that it's in America and now that it's suffered a financial setback from Dieselgate, is turned very hostile towards unions. And one of the first things that happened within the week, in the first week that it was announced that the UAW was um, was seeking a new um, election in the plant, was that they reached out to Governor Bill Lee's office to begin about what was going on in the plant. And we also saw from emails that I obtained from um, Governor Bill Lee's office that his staff began working to coordinate anti-union activities around the state. Um, and this led up to uh, one of the most unprecedented actions that happened during the anti-union campaign which is that Volkswagen shut the lines down and forced all the workers to attend a secret meeting with Governor Bill Lee, where he made clear his anti-union views. So this is a millionaire governor who runs an, a non-union business in Middle Tennessee, 
telling Volkswagen workers who make $15.50, you know, $15 an hour uh, to $23 an hour that it's in their best interest not to vote for a union. Um, and, you know, again, like this wasn't open to the press. It wasn't announced that he was going to be there. It, the workers weren't told beforehand. Um, but I was able to obtain audio of this meeting that we published at labornotes.org. And I've never heard of this happening anywhere else in the country. Like this is a pretty unprecedented action for a sitting governor, the most powerful politician in the state, to go into a company like this to tell workers um, that they shouldn't vote for the union. So think about it from the workers' perspective. Your employer, the governor, state legislators, and all of these astroturf organizations funded by business interests are all telling you not to vote for the union and that if you do so, you could potentially lose your job and hurt economic development in your state. Um, so I think that from their perspective, they're just making a cost benefit analysis. And many of them were really terrified that this could be true. I heard the audio that you obtained and I heard Bill Lee get booed loudly, uh, which was enjoyable, although he seemed to have get his point across. So I guess my question to you, having watched this issue for so long, I have two questions. I'd love for you to sort of provide an update about where unions are in the country in general. But my other question would be thinking about it from their perspective. Is there a point there? Like if they had unionized, if they had voted to unionize, would there have been ramifications? Would there have been repercussions or is that all just idle threats? Yeah. So I, you know, I think that labor is, is, has been on, on the retreat in this country now for several decades. Um, you know, it, there's no doubt that, that the laws in this country are 100% um, in favor of the boss. Um, you know, the, the, the loss of union density in most places around the country, like Tennessee, means that for the majority of people, they don't even have family, friends, or neighbors that are in unions. They don't have a direct connection to one to understand what it looks like or, you know, what the benefits are. Um, but they do know what it's like potentially to be unemployed. They do know what it's like to not have insurance. They do know what it's like to struggle. So I think for many people overcoming, um, you know, the, their life experience and getting them to, to, to lift their vision and, and unite around a kind of bold idea like fighting the cost, taking these risks, right, um, is, is a challenge. It's very, very difficult to do. Um, but there are, you know, bright spots where we're seeing it happen. Like I think the West Virginia teacher strike is such a fantastic and inspiring example of how working people can come together um, you know, take to the streets, shut down business as usual and win. And not only that, but they'll have, um, but the community had their back. You, know, you think about how disruptive a teacher strike is when schools are shut down and parents have to keep their, their kids at home. Um, but in this case, the teachers were so great in saying that, like, you know, what we're trying to build is a strong middle class. Like you said, what we're trying to build is a strong public education. And, and you know, um, after years and years and years of tax cuts for the rich and the growing inequality in this country, it turns out that the community is often ready and hungry. Um, for an opportunity to support workers in those kinds of actions. Um, so I think that like it's entirely possible to win at Volkswagen. I think that the, the support that they had going into the election proves that. I just think that the UAW unfortunately ran a campaign that was inadequate to the boss fight that they, that they experienced. They, I don't think it was capable of overcoming the real fear and terror that was put into workers um, by the, the politicians um, and you know these business groups and, 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 and Volkswagen. And I should and I should say too, you know, employer opposition is fierce everywhere in this country, um, and it always has been. But it's really a new trend that we're seeing in the South, where you have all three of these groups uniting together, where you have state politicians working, you know, to threaten incentives, you know, threatening um, jobs. You have the employers running their hostile campaigns, and these business-backed um, um, astroturf groups, like we saw in Tennessee, like the Center for Union Facts, which is run by a businessman that was buying billboards and putting up 
radio ads and social media ads. We saw Southern Momentum, which is run by Maury Nicely in Chattanooga. He's a employer side um, union busting attorney um, who received, you know, over $100,000 in 2014 to run a campaign against the union. He probably received something similar this time around. You know, so we're seeing um, all of these groups coordinating together in a really sophisticated way in order to defeat a union drive at just this one plant, which is pretty remarkable. A ton of pressure for these workers to have to face. Well, it's, you know, I just feel like it's such a microcosm of what we see throughout the country with everything. You know, it's, it's we need to stand together. We need to fight for each other. It's so clear that if one, you know, not to make it too political, but if one party is on the side of unions and one party is on, against unions, I find that to be a pretty dead giveaway as far as who's actually fighting for people rather than in the pocket of big business. Uh, I thought you made a great point, too, in your article when you said that in the run up to the election, Volkswagen started giving the workers more. I don't know if it was they could wear shorts or there were things that you said that they started to loosen their grip on. And instead of taking that as a, a sign that the workers had more power than they thought they did, they took it as a sign that, oh, I need to do what the, the bosses are telling me to do, which was a shame. So, you know, people have more power than they realize. Operating out of fear is never a good thing to do. And it feels like that's what happened with this vote. I just want to read a couple of comments here. There's a question for you here in the comments section from Mark Russell. He says, what do you think about national nurses and their gains in members? I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Uh, you know, no, I, I don't know that I do. Okay. I don't know that I do have any. Lisa Porter says lawyers need to step up to represent the workers. The pay isn't the debate. It's safety. The company should, by laws, protect their employees. If they don't want them to unionize, then protect them from injuries. Is injured were injuries a big problem at this plan, and are they still a problem? They're a tremendous problem. I mean, so I was interviewing people in their early 30s who have had multiple surgeries, some of whom are permanently disabled for life. Um, you know, we we might think that you know these these auto plants have become so much safer over the years um, that you know um, the ergonomics are there that people aren't going to have these repetitive motion injuries or like that. Um, the, the deep kind of long-term injuries that, that we come to associate with really challenging jobs um, don't exist anymore. But that's just not been the case. Uh, it, it, and I interviewed um, something like 17 workers for this article I wrote about the injury rate in the plant. And every one of them said that injuries was the top issue, if not the top three issues. Um, and that, you know, the, the problem is, is, that, is that the job is so hard that you have constant turnover. And so in order to train people, they have to often go to the easiest job on the line. And that means that the people who have been there the longest are working the hardest jobs. So the people who are people who have been there the longest can do. And so they end up um, suffering from these really horrific repetitive stress injuries like, like carpal tunnel syndrome, where they have to have multiple surgeries on their wrists or like getting shoulder injuries and having to have replacements. So um, it, it's a profound problem. But I think, unfortunately, what we've seen in this country is that um, you know, uh, uh, not only have our labor laws been whittled away at, but so have our, you know, safety and health laws. So OSHA is much weaker than what it used to be. There's not a lot of funding um, to, to have inspections. Um, there's not a lot of protections that are provided to workers anymore. So absent a union, it's very, very hard and challenging for workers to protect themselves in an effective way from, you know, um, from having these kinds of injuries that, that have a long-term impact on their life. Nikki B asks, were there any threats to close the plant if labor force was unionized? Is that what they did? Did they threaten to close the plant or was it not that direct? I mean, it was clear that that, that, that was what they were threatening. So supervisors handed out flyers 
that linked the UAW to the closure of plants around the country, um, you know, insinuating that a vote for the UAW is a vote to close the plant. The CEO of Volkswagen, Frank Fisher, held um, an all, two all-plant meetings, one for the morning shift and one for the night shift, in which he um, explained that uh, that labor strife, uh, you know, which the UAW had organized their Westmoreland plant in Pennsylvania, um, uh, is what led to the closure of that plant in 1988 and said, we don't want the same thing to happen in Chattanooga. So he was very clearly indicating to the workers that we believe that the UAW was responsible for what happened in Westmoreland, Pennsylvania, when management decided to close that plant and the same thing could happen here in Chattanooga. That theme was reinforced everywhere. It was reinforced by state legislators who said that they would kill incentives tied to the expansion of the plant and the introduction of a new electric vehicle. It was reinforced by the ads that were running on television and radio. You might have heard some of the ads. Um, Southern Momentum, again, an anti-union astroturf group funded by business interests in Chattanooga, was running this ad with like a gravelly voice that was saying that the UAW is responsible for job losses all around the country. And now they're coming to Chattanooga to take over the Volkswagen plant. So I think that the entire strategy is really um, hinged on this idea of threats and fear. And I think it's very, very effective. Right. And then, of course, the governor coming down and putting his thumb on the scale didn't help. Uh, so I don't want to keep you too long. I just want to turn to the future now. And what do you think will happen here in Tennessee? Is this the last we'll hear of unionization at a plant for the next while? Or are there, is there anything on the horizon? And in general, how do we fix the situation and make America a more union friendly place? Well, I mean, I think that it's it's up to the workers. I mean, like people have to come together. No one's going to save us. The Germans can't save us. The German unions can't save us. Um, you know, no one from the outside is going to be able to come in and and fix the situation that we're in. It's only going to fix um, itself when workers come together to fight for themselves. And again, like I think we're seeing inspiring examples of that, even in Republican dominated states across the country. We saw that with the West Virginia teacher strike. We saw that with the Arizona teacher strike in Nashville, Tennessee. There was this fantastic red for red campaign. Um, by by um, teacher and union activists there where they were um, packing up school board meetings to demand a higher raise. They were um, wearing red shirts to work every day and posting photos on social media. Then they were doing what they call walk-ins where teachers would stand up front and welcome parents and students and have their demands out there, encouraging parents and students to support them. And then they had a one-day sick out where, you know, something like 20% of the workforce was out that day in order to help pressure, um, you know, local uh, uh, decision makers into trying to give them a higher raise. I think it's that kind of action and that kind of activity organized by workers themselves from the bottom up that is going to help to, to, to redirect the labor movement into a direction where it's going to be an actual power again, you know, an actual force for, for change against corporate power and inequality in this country. Well, what, what ends up happening is people end up in situations where they have nothing to lose, right? Like when your pay is so low and your wages aren't going up and your only recourse is to go find another job, then suddenly it's like, why not strike? You know, I mean, if I'm not if I'm not going to actually be able to live on what I'm you know, what I'm supposed to be earning here, then why, why don't I do it? So that they're, they're actually short sighted in the way that they treat, especially teachers and schools in this country and, and in our state right now. And it's been heartening to see teachers banding together throughout the country. And it has worked. And we're seeing it work even here in Tennessee. Now, the threat of strikes, I think, has made people realize that they need to invest more and Taxes might go up in certain parts of the state. And, you know, I know Metro Nashville was giving it a second thought now and it's become a part of the mayoral uh, campaigns. So people need to put pressure on. These things don't happen by themselves. You know, management doesn't just give raises without pressure. You know, management doesn't give benefits without pressure. And for so long, for decades now, Chris, I'm, I'm sure you'd agree with this, that 
management has been winning for the last 40 years. And, and so it's time for people to really band together and, and tip the, the scales back in balance. And so, you know, and I think reporting like what you do is really important because you give a lot of insight into the, in, in context. And I think that's what people need is context where we are. So just as some final thoughts before we sign off, what should people be thinking about as far as this movement goes? Well, I think it's really important to remember that uh, after the Volkswagen vote in 2014, around the world investment um, because of our low unionization rate and low wages. So their entire economic model, the economic model that they were threatening to start you know, pulling the rug under if, if, if Volkswagen workers voted, uh, for a union is predicated on the idea of keeping, um, you know, their boot on people's necks, on, on working people's necks and keeping them from being able to demand more. We are a state with a lot of wealth, a lot of money. You know, uh, Metro Nashville, for example, has more cranes than Manhattan currently, like the construction boom that's happening there is incredible to see. Um, and that is generating a lot of wealth and a lot of profits for people, but it's not trickling down to everybody else. And the only way that dynamic is going to change is if working people organize. All right, Chris. Well, thanks a lot. You're at Chactivist on Twitter and labornotes.org is the website. Keep up the great work and uh, we'll definitely be following you. And maybe we can jump on and do this again down the line as, as things come up. That'd be great. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Chris. Take care, bud. So again, that's Chris Brooks. Labornotes.org is the website. He's at Chactivist on Twitter. We're at the TN Holler on Twitter. The audio of this will be available on our podcast on iTunes and subscribe there. It'll be pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. And we put out our email blasts pretty much once a day. So sign up for our email blasts on our website. And if you like what we're doing, as always, I got to ask you to contribute monthly. We're, we're doing great with these monthly contributions. They really keep us going and this work isn't free. So anything you can do would be really great. Even three, five, 10 bucks a month helps keep us going. So thank you guys for being here. We're going to keep doing Facebook lives like this to pick the brains of people who know what they're talking about. And uh, we appreciate you being here with us. Thank you.